0: football, um, there's 11 people, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, Uh, people on offense with the ball, their goal is to score, and so they run plays, and so they'll come up to the line of scrimmage where they hide the ball, and before uh, each play, oftentimes, which is kind of the more modern football now, you'll notice that the offense, I'm sorry for those of you who are familiar with football, but but it's okay. But the offense, before they snap the, snap the ball and run their play to the defense, now you'll notice in uh, modern football a lot of kind of shifting around. The guys will move over here, and then they have what they call a guy going in motion, and right before the ball snaps, they'll start running. One guy can be in motion, one ball snapped, and all these things are going on. Uh, at the University of Alabama, Nick Saban, their head coach, he calls uh, all that motion and moving around eye candy. Uh, meaning that the per- that what the offense is trying to do is to distract you and get you thinking about something else so that they might strike you with a play in a different direction. Kind of the old and switch or deception. Some of that, there's a lot going on in the world, I mean, in that role, but that's the simplified, is something of what's happening. And so, um, I would say, uh, with our pastors today, which you, I'm sure you're like, whoa, what going to say about all this this morning, huh? Um, a little bit what can happen is that you and I can be, um, we can be deceived and, and and miss the play, if that makes sense, right? And I would argue this. There's a phrase in there that oftentimes uh, makes Christians uh, get a little bit deceived or kind of not see what they're supposed to, and it's that phrase, last days. So I bet you see that in the first verse there. Uh, on the last days, and uh, I think that can oftentimes distract Christians, uh, that particular phrase. And uh, I want to offer just one thing by way of intro to you. Uh, whether you know it or not, this is why... Um, this will distract you. Um, now, if you haven't grown up in the church, which Kevin didn't, our other pastor, he would be like, "I don't remember this." But if you've grown up around the church, you would maybe know this. Um, the predominant, most influential view in the West, particularly the American church, for the last fifty or seven years, or fifty to seventy years, was a view called dispensationalism, or dispensational premillennial. It was the idea of a dispensational, a theological framework, how to think about the end times. And whenever someone sees these last days, whether you know it or not, if you've grown up in America, you, anywhere around the church, you've been influenced by that particular view of the scriptures. And um, in that particular view, I want you to know, I'm not here to argue the difference between dispensational and covenant theology. we We are not, our denomination is not. But what I want you to do, by way of fun, is realize that culturally, as the Western church, we really have been influenced. By that, especially when and it comes to mind, we see phrases like, the last days. Uh, the dispensational uh, view um, was really it was really a young view. It started with a guy by the name of Darby, John Darby, uh, in the 1830s, 1845. Uh, then a guy by the name of Schofield took the view and um, <laughs> took it to a different letter, level. I think Darby was a Plymouth Brethren, um, but then Schofield was actually a layman in Presbyterian in the St. Louis area, and uh, that kind of became... Uh, and, and, and its rise in America was very, very popular, particularly between the 50s up through the through the 80s. Uh, and you've just been influenced by it, whether you know they're not. And I want to just give you a couple, of, uh, couple of, a couple of things to say. Now, my point is not to argue against it. I just want to give you a couple of examples to show at least you've been influenced by it. And you bring that to the scriptures sometimes if you live in the American church, okay? Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, if you feel a little uneasy uh, whenever we start preaching from the Old Testament, if you feel a little uneasy about that, like, eh, the Old Testament, I'm more of a New Testament kind of person, uh, then you probably may have been influenced by it. Um, you as uh, an the Old Testament makes you easy. You may have thoughts like, well, that was for Israel, and that was for the church, but we're about the new era, and the new church, and you may be uncomfortable reading the Old Testament. I grew up that way. Very much so. I'm, I'm still getting used to reading uh, the Old Testament. Um, and that reason why it was the dispensational view, the fundamental view, was that there are two storylines in the Bible. There's a f- story of physical Israel, the nation, ethnic Israel, and of the church. And actually, the old dispensational views taught, uh, the original views taught that the that this is, that the church is even, the word church is even mentioned in mention the Old Testament, and um, the new, and therefore the church is actually only from the time of Christ till now, okay? So if you ever feel uneasy about that, it could be been influenced by, uh, by that in some way. Um, <laughs> also, um, because of that, that commitment to physical, the country, for the ethnicity of the Jews and the nation of Israel, uh, I grew up, personally, which I was highly influenced by this, I grew up listening to my parents, watching the news, and my grandparents, and they would say they were always so intrigued at whether or not we as the United States would stay as allies with the nation of Israel. And one of the things I heard my parents say all the time was, uh, boy, don't ever forsake that. That's God's people. We need to stay committed, to Israel. That's rooted, whether well, that's right or wrong. That's rooted in the dispensational pre-millennial, this premillennial view of the end times in this particular framework. I don't think we felt that, uh, but I did. I heard that all the time. Now, also another prevalent doctrine within this was what is known as the rapture. All right, where before Jesus comes back, the God's people are kind of secretly taken up and dis- disappeared, all the Gentiles, to remove them out of the scene so God can continue to deal with Israel and finish his storyline with them. Literally, that the church would just disappear. Um, you may have heard of those that are, this is mostly for people older than 40. All right? But uh, you may have, but there's famous movies, that's Ethan and I, he might said that in the 70s, We wish we'd been ready. Larry Norman wrote a book. It was by Christian author. Wish we'd been ready when we were taken up and and the church was taken away. Um, The late great planet Earth in the 70s was a movie that was around that particular view. And um, more of you may be more familiar with the idea of the series of Left Behind. Remember that? Now, listen, I woke up as a kid. Influenced by this, I woke up a couple of Saturday mornings as a teenager and I walked downstairs. and My dad was out running errands, and I don't know where my mom was, and nobody was in the house. So I go, I'm with <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the church I didn't believe. I would have this fear. I'd go check out the door. My neighbor's, he's a Christian, I'd see him across the street. That was, um, that was rooted in the idea of being led by. By the way, I will say to that people that you don't want to argue. But nobody until 1875 ever believed the secret rapture of it. So for 1,800 years, the church, post-Christ, never had that thought. But that was part of it, uniquely to those in the pre, Then the other kind of famous thing, and I hope this is, maybe some of you have this, was the idea of an antichrist, which there's two views in the Bible, but there would be one individual who would be Satan kind of in the flesh, and he would carry the mark of the beast, 666. Am I nervous about that number? It's from Romans, from Revelations 3, 3, 18. Uh, a number, it's symbolic. There's all kinds of, I mean, it's just a symbolic number. By the way, that number is actually in the Bible. And the Bible doesn't seem to feel nervous about that. So if you feel nervous about, like it's in other passages, six six six, like it would, they would count in the exile, six six six, 6, how many of the family would come back to exile the number? The Bible wasn't nervous about that number. Now this probably has some symbolism with it, but in this particular framework, was always viewed by the hippos that you would be six six six, the mark of the beast, and uh, there was this one person. Now, without getting it out to this day, even though I, I have a different view now, um, I saw six 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 on a tag yesterday or this week. Now, remember, I saw it on the back. I was like, mm, I wouldn't want that tag, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though I. <laughs> Now, I don't even know that. But I'll give you even um, this idea that there would be one person. And, and we lived in an era, the last, if you live in America the last few years, we we're looking for, a, is he the Antichrist? Is that the Antichrist? Now, my particular view of that is that, 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 that it's um, not an individual or an institution, but it's, it's anything that sets itself up against Christ. That's kind of historically where most of the land is. But, but some, in this particular framework, thought of it being a person. I can remember, like, even that, it was a common area. Some people saw in biblical times that Nero, because in the Hebrew he had six letters of his name, that he might be in the Antichrist. At some point, the church, the Protestants thought it was the Pope. Um, my grandfather, who was a, who was a, um, a depression Democrat coming out of depression, he said, I sat in his house and he said, R O N A L D, W I L S I O N. R A G A Ronald Wilson Reagan six six six. He's the Christ? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that thing has kind of been prevalent uh, throughout time. I'll give one more story, uh, not to minimize, but I was um, I was growing up in uh, I grew up in, it was in the church. I told you I attended. It was around the church although I wasn't a believer. And these type of movies about the end times, particularly the Mark of the Beast, we were watching. It's called. Maybe some of you have watched it. The Omen around Damien. Who's the devil being born? And I was watching it at this lock in. I couldn't have been more than 12 or 13. I do in the youth group. And we were watching the movie and thinking that Antichrist is born in this movie. And he was born on June 6th at 6 a.m. Six months, sixth day, sixth hour. Guess who else was born on June 6th? My <laughs> brother! was And so I snuck out, and I went around, and I got on the phone and called on, and I was like, "Mom, well, I mean, I don't I mean, know where I was, and they was like, he was a mean little sucker? I mean, he would have a club." And I thought, oh, my goodness. And uh, I called, and I was like, Mom, what time What time was Seth born? And she told me it wasn't the so he wasn't My brother <laughs> wasn't the <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I really do want to re-emphasize. We do have, there are brothers who have a dispensational view. Some of this stuff about the end times is a little, a little off, but I, I, I do that to kind of just, I really do want to say is that without knowing if you have up in the Western church, you have been uh, influ, influenced by that. Geography. Some of it was a fight of liberalism at the time, but it came to mainstream thought, because most of the other churches, including our generation, we living the faith in the 50s and 60s and 70s. PCA was formed in the But, don't be sidetracked by those thoughts. To hear what the Lord really had, because we've been working through Timothy, what he had for his people. And so we're going to look at three things. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the last days. Then we'll look at the frame for you. That That's in verse uh, 1. Then we'll look at the list. The list of the long list of things. We we'll won't go through them all, but there's 19 of them. And then we'll finish with the long view, as the passage finishes. So, may don't be deceived. Let us don't don't run off and worry about all the end times stuff. We don't know when Christ will come in, but we we do know that the Lord has a message for us how to live with now. Let's pray. God, would you help us as your people to um, help us to pro- appropriately long. For your return, Lord, and help us as we weed out what, as theologians have really debated, and what will be the order within times, and what it will be like. But in the meantime, what's clear is that we're still here, and you're still King, and your uh, your your death. Uh, this Palm Sunday is so symbolic; everything is secure, and you're coming back as promised because you were resurrected the resurrected. So help us this morning to really not be um, wolf on the tangents, So let us hear for our own minds and our own hearts the beauty of what Paul was helping this young pastor with, for him and for his people. Amen. All right, we'll start there in verse uh, 1. We'll look at the last days, which is in verse 1. And notice it says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So, as you look at that, first as you see the but, just start there, that's in a transition word, and always remember that, what is the but, what's going on right before it? And right before it uh, was <coughs> Paul, and those of you who are in the studies, you'll remember that right before this, Paul has just told Timothy uh, how to relate to those, uh, those who are false teachers and those that are poorly and argument. He's told him to be kind, to be patient, to teach them well be long-suffering with those who are evil and the love them. It's so a vulnerable and to, and to actually correct them in gentleness. And then the passage right before that, he's mentioned the devil. He said actually that some people are ensnared by the devil. And so have compassion for them. So the last thought was this moving towards them with compassion. And then also that the idea of the devil was next, that the devil was mentioned. Now, I think what Paul's trying to tell us here, this natural throw, remember this is a whole letter here, is that when the devil comes to mind, but he's like, you gotta remember also that the devil has an easy, evil scheme, and it's to get people to thinking about themselves, and to get them to be self-absorbed. Just like he did to Adam and Eve. he made Eve begin to think about herself first, and not about God. So then he so he tells them that. But then he says, "Understand," which is one of the two commands in our passage. He says to understand and avoid. He says to understand that word there is code. It's in the Greek. It actually could be to know. I want you to know this. Think about this. There's an intimacy to it. So this isn't just I you know about. It. There's a real focus that he wants them to think about, and uh, it's in the present tense. That particular verb is to understand. So it means the, the idea is it's continually thinking about this. So it doesn't just don't just move on from it. <laughs> keep doing that. And so, what does he want him to understand? Well, he wants him to understand, which we could go through the whole passage, but I, I think it could be summarized in this, that he wants you to realize that, that there's something, there's a danger that's happening. Things can be dangerous. And to avoid, I want you to understand that you need to avoid this danger if you can. Alright? So, first, we see there in verse, at the end of verse 1, that there come times of difficulty. That difficulty there is a mild translation of that word, difficulty. Alright? So, he's saying, I want you to understand there's difficulty coming. That word, uh, there is the same word used over the um, Matthew 28, 28. 8, 28, in reference to the demoniacs of the Dora, where two demon-possessed men met Jesus coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. Remember that story? It says those demons were so fierce, that fierce, that danger is the same word that the to used here. And so uh, that in the last day, they will be fierce. Daniel. So that's the point. Right, but then, we do get to our important word here, the last days, oh uh, well, then he also says to avoid them. Uh, I'm sorry, I missed that. He says, What do you want you to understand? I want you to know it's dangerous, and I want you to avoid it. And he'll, he'll later state uh, at the end of verse 4. But, this is the beauty of the Bible, by the way, it's realistic. I mean, it doesn't seem confusing to you? Now, wait a minute. A few verses before, he said, what are it. But then you tell us to move towards them in kindness. But now you tell us to avoid people again. Which is it? Yes. Life is complex. What I do raising my child? Do I say here? Do I speak here? Do I love here or do I know truth? Do you that? And this letter is a real letter where he is, he is saying it doesn't mean avoid everybody who has any glimpse of selfishness. It doesn't mean that. But, but Paul is going back and forth, like, yes, move towards him. But then again. Make them a tongue to avoid it it could be really bad. You see that rhythm? It's complex. I love it in the Bible. That's what my life is like. Where's me out trying to figure out how to relate to people and make decisions? So the there, nevertheless, this particular proof he says that. Now in the last days, um, the last days he says, um, literally what most all what this last days means. Is the time period between Jesus has come, his first arrival and his second life when he comes to Okay, it's just referring to that phrase, that time there. And um, this is where you can kind of get redirected, and where I think the dispensational view, you can look at that and think, oh no, uh, in the last days, uh, it we come down to difficulty, and you might get out your kind of your your, your hat and say, All right. I'm looking out at our culture and our world and I we'll won't figure out how bad, how difficult it is because Jesus is going to come if and figure out how difficult it is. And that's where I think some of our influence can be off. That's not appropriate for this passage. That's not what's being said. So the idea is not things will get so, so, so bad and then you can, you can figure out all the signs and the red moon and all this stuff and, and you can figure out that Jesus is coming. That's not what it's saying. Actually, so let me just tell you a few reasons uh, why. There's a lot of clues in the passage. All right, first, um, The verge of present tense continue Right? So the void and, and the uh, understanding. So it's already going on. You kind of keep, you realize that, like there's nothing future. All this bad stuff's happening right now to him. So there's no getting somewhere else. It's already bad. People are coming in and preying on uh, the women. We'll see that in just a second. Uh, secondly, uh, Janice and Jambres. Uh, who are mentioned at the end of the passage. You remember, there, we'll look at them in a second. That's all the way back from when Moses and the Exodus, those are two magicians. You Remember when Jesus, when Moses came to Pharaoh and threw down his staff, and those guys made their staff turn into snakes, just like Jesus? They're those magicians. One of the reasons you can see is that, one of the things I think Paul's trying to say is that this has been going on a long time. It's been difficult, and it's been going on for a long time. It's not new here. He didn't pick someone last week. He showed that it's been going on. For a very, very long time. And then probably the most convincing is you see there in verse one that word come times. Times there is not linear. Actually, that word is more close, closely translated to seasons. The idea of in and out of seasons and flow. And so the idea is that all throughout history, in the last times, there will be seasons where things kind of move where it's kind of a little not quite as bad and a lot worse. The seasons go and change, but they kind of come. From it. <coughs> Conceptually, that's what's happening. It's really, really, really bad in pretending. Remember, Nero is burning them and killing them. But then a flood is going come the church is going to prosper. But guess what? Then hard times will come again. That is the church's story of seasons of difficulty, and that is the story of the last days. And between now and Christ, that we're always simultaneously moving out more serious than serious. And then let me tell you this. Another reason we know this is true. Look up the sexual ethic of Rome. I'm not going to bring it to you. The pedophilia and all those things were rampant and acceptable. It is far worse than in this context of what we're experiencing anyway. Though, Although it seems very serious, and it is. Around identity and the sexual revolution that we're having again here in America. But, not new, and not really as severe as a polytheistic world where they pray, where, where grown men could be with children. Acceptable! So, does that make sense? This isn't growing, it's kind of having flood, And that's where it is. So, my application from my first point is a couple of thoughts. One, it's bad. The language there is—he's telling him it's bad. Right now. He's him, yeah, telling him, "I know it's tough," but he's also saying that it's nothing new. It's been going on since James and James. And so, you can be optimistic, but you also need to be realistic. And that is our story. I, listen, we've been through some hard times in church. As a matter of fact, we've probably—we've had the, the predecessor of the man was one of these false teachers. Has yet to come to full repentance. One of these false teachers, we need to know the story of our church, who actually did these very actions, who looked at an appearance of bodies, and yet, none of us. There's some comfort. Like, that's just our story to right? heaven. We also have some incredible things going on. And that's kind of always the story. That's the story of your life. We simultaneously have a home. Can we have brokenness and things going on in our lives? We're like, I don't know what to do with Such is the story of the church. Such is the last days. We went through some of our hardest times here on an and past. I have people out there and say, when are you fucking out of that? That's tough up there. When are we going to leave that? Is this, and I always want to say, is like, if this, where am the And what am going It will always be difficult. And it will always be. Different. By the way, notice the word repeated twice is people. This is the people. Because there's people. <laughs> One of the reasons it will always be this way is because people are here. There's always people following the sinners. Yeah. All right. The next is the list. We'll see that in verse, starting with verse 2. We'll go all the way through verse 7 there. Um, I'm not going to read the whole list, but I, I, I want to just draw note. I really think if you'll draw note uh, attention to verse 2. For, we are, for people will be lovers of self. I think that's probably the sewer pipe that everything else runs out of. <laughs> From there forward, the, the list is um, uh, football and sewer pipes. I'm, I'm not sure you thought you would hear this illustration this morning. But anyway, uh, that's the pipe that, uh, that all the others come out of. If you become a lover of self, uh, then you will, um, then boasting and arrogance and abuse, all those things flow out of self-absorption. Uh, in it. So, but notice, there's basically within at the end of verse, uh, at the end of verse four, it also says, uh, "I'm sorry, at the end of um, yeah, verse four, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God." So, this list can be categorized, I think, as misguided love. You to love yourself, which will take you to loving pleasure, or you love God. That's the battle of all the time, all of you? You to love yourself. God and that what the serpent did was interesting. The, the creation story we've just had a mention of the devil here before and the serpent. What did he do? He began to make at, at Eve and Adam think about themselves first. Take your eyes to God's eyes, maybe you're not as valuable. As God, as you think you are? Did he really say? Begin to make. Don't you want to be like God? When he begins to make them think about themselves. That's it. Do uh, the famous famous. Um, Book or story written by St. Augustine, um, The Tale of Two Cities. You will know the city of God. He uh, wrote that uh, very, very long. I've almost worked through it before. By the two cities, let me just read you a quote the two cities that he speaks about, the city of God, there were two cities, and one was the city of self, and one was the city of God. Notice the quote here Two cities have been founded by two loves, the earthly by the love of self even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly, by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former, in a word, glorifies itself; the latter, the Lord. So, that's what he's getting at. In the last days, people will want to, they will think self first. And we ought to pause and ask the question, what might that look like today? Just, at least, what does it mean to, look, to be a lover of self a little pleasure. I could go on and on, right? But primarily, um, which, by the way, we, we've been writing Timothy together, all pastors, so we've been really sharp ones. We went through through this, and um, uh, uh, Chris uh, said, "Virtue." I said, what does it mean to be a lover of self? Chris said, virtue signal, uh, where it is to, like, I want to signal that I'm racially this or that or not, let's just self absorb it's just insecure, you're trying to make people think you're something, you're not, but, but here's the primary way to love ourselves, so this is I think culturally the way we think, the primary question, and the primary truth we believe in this culture right now is that truth is found within, within you and within me and how I feel the truth is true that's basically what we, we are so self-absorbed and so how does this thing, person, place, event how does it make me feel how did, they, how did they make me feel? That's how we define the truth. Which is contrary to epistemology and how we think about how, say, truth is arriving, right? We know truth is outside of us. And there's one who is true who comes and defines who we are. That we are actually looking for truth. We need truth. But truth isn't found within. Explore the depths of my heart. We'll just be forever. Tons of things written about it. As a matter of fact, in the 50s, there was a debate between a theologian, I believe his name was Niebuhr, and a psychologist. Um, Rogers. And they debated over, One said that the, that the heart of man, uh, the theologian begins in the 50s at the heart, the problem with man is he's way too much a lover of himself. Well, the psychologist, secular, said no, the problem of man is that he doesn't love himself enough. So, we've been within that today. that's a whole other sermon. But you are of great birth, You're because you were made in the image of God. That's why you're a great person. You're glorious. And there's so many things about you as people and as individuals that's so glorious because you're made the image of God. I hold that up to you. But you're also a sinner. Truth is not found within you. You've actually rebelled against the truth. And truth has come to you to set you free. And it is found outside of you. The person of Christ. And so, even having come to church, right? I mean, most people show up at churches and say, how did that church make me feel? What do they do for me? Do they let it? Listen, it is people. Stop looking for the perfect church. There's not one. Stop being so arrogant about your I mean, theological beliefs. Matter, which we looked at, we looked at last week. But don't if you come to the youth, if you come to a church and you think I like everything about this, then something's wrong. You're, you're in love, land. You really are. And I would say that's not good for you because when you come, you ought to have to give them something. You ought to have to consider they like that. Listen, all I assure you, all the officers don't like everything we do in our church. Some things are like, yeah, hey, I don't love that, but I'm told, I see why it's biblical. I prefer this. Me too. There's things about my denomination. But that's the point. We come. God is a lover of self. We come to love God and other people. was that? not the greatest commandment? The Bible doesn't say love yourself. You say, well, what about the greatest commandment?" No, it's, the point is love others as you love yourself. I think it understands what it's fallen in that passage. We think that. I lovers of pleasure, right? Are we not pleasure-seeking? What does that look like to that? means like temporary enjoyment at the expense of things that are bad, right? Whether it be people or work. Text. And there's a reason I think Paul earlier had said, like a good soldier, and a farmer, who has a discipline self, right? He's saying sometimes you just can't do it temporarily it feels good. Cultural, you know. Valuable relationships in our life. I'll give it. Some, sometimes you have to say no to Netflix in order to say yes to things that matter. That's a form of just temporal escapism. The other thing to notice here is that this this really is the church, by the way. They're talking about the church, so sometimes you come to this passage and go, ooh, our culture is really bad, but guess who they're talking about. This is false teachers within the church. This is us. And so one of the reasons (laughs) he's saying there will be people who are like this among you, around you, and we have to pause and even think about it and say, if the culture's like this, and that means that how's the culture coming to us, and it can come into the church so bad that people can be really, do really, really bad things to people who are weak. That's what happens. And so an examination as a church and we need to always be doing this. Is to say, are we lovers of self as Grace PCA? Are we arrogant? Do we boast? Do we take our powers and exploit them, us. We could be. You could be deceived. So it's a sobering, sobering thing. You'll notice there that the um, that, uh, out of this particular group, he he, he chooses to describe Paul tell something that was uniquely happening right then and there. And that I, I, I always have read this passage until this week and assumed that it was men that men will sometimes prey on women but actually it doesn't even say that. it remains in the people when you begin to study it's like there were actually women who could be doing this and men so it could have been any person who could come in and prey upon these particular type of women Uh, it could be men or women who come in there was, he was saying so avoid these dangerous people because sometimes this thing can happen this is a bad deal you notice, and so what this passage is teaching, we can't go into it all this morning. But it's not that all women are weak, and there's multiple thoughts about what's going on. It doesn't mean that. It just took a particular group of people or women in the church at that time that were being prayed upon. All right, and um, uh, it is. Some wonder, some theologians wonder if it is referring uh, a little bit of the creation story. Is there something unique about women uh, and men? We know they're different. How different are they? Are they the same? All men can be deceived. Children can be deceived. Men can be deceived. Women can, see, but. You've yeah, to think about the creation story, the way sin came to the world. The woman was deceived. That's what we surely know. And she talked to him. He knew the man, and he just kind of rebelled. At least she was deceived. And remember our passage before, last week? Talk about those ensnared by the devil that have compassion. But, but it's not a bastion of women. As a matter of fact, it's a compassionate thing we have to protect the women. It could be that women weren't allowed to theologically study, but Hopefully, there's some things going on. They couldn't read. weren't trained. weren't going to school. And maybe there's weakness in that Paul's addressing. That uh, actually, one commentary said this. Um, one of the ones I like. He said, uh, "Paul may be countering the beliefs of the early form of Gnosticism that thought women were elevated as the favored instruments of revelation. Even not Eve, not Adam was thought to be the one who was created first, and then sin as an instructor to raise Adam, in whom there was no soul. Her progeny in turn became the source of special revelation that men pointed out." So. He's just saying that there were these kind of there was this heresy around that women actually weren't coming in and praying on women. But a are not But here's the point. I think in general. When you become a lover of self, that's the predominant way you live, and a lover of pressure, rather than a lover of God, the weak will always be taken advantage of. Substitute everything. That's the danger. Application from this one. Did you notice that the list, the list of 19 things, that they're all kind of inward of the heart? It's about the inward life of a person. Did you mention pandemics, famines, wars? What was the real danger? The real danger is found it to love ourselves is the most dangerous thing for the church. So, we don't have to be sobered by that. And um, and then also we have to do due diligence. There is a form of godliness that can be among us. Notice that they have an appearance of godliness of us and we not see it. The church can have these kind of people around. They can always have. It always has in seasons and dozens. I mentioned we have. These people know the right answers and they look spiritual, but they're not. They're self absorbed. That's a sobering thought. So, you ought not be surprised when you read about scandals. It's going to break your heart, but don't, don't be surprised. And another the thing is at the core of who you are. You're always going to think so first. That's the reality that we are apart from Christ. We are this list. Apart from his mercy. Um, If we were to hold a mirror up these 19 things, it'll be true of us. But can I say to you Grace Church this morning that Jesus Christ on that Palm Sunday did set his face towards Jerusalem? To forgive us and to set us free from ourselves. his glory, and his so insidious. Thomas Boston said, one of the Puritans, he says, anybody knew all of my thoughts inwardly? He said, I have about two things, maybe like me.' And then Christ sees us and set his face towards Jerusalem to save us. Well, the last day I told y'all about was the long view. And I wanted to make that one word, but I know it's not, but Long view in verse eight and nine, you'll see there. But just as Janice and Jammers oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted and in my regarding face, but they will not get very far, for they, their folly, when their plan will be plain to all, as it was those two men. So the long view, just in the midst of these last days, we must have a long view. What is that long view? That the Lord will sort it out. He really will. He will do it. You realize those guys remember are the ones with Moses and he threw his Moses threw his his um his uh cane down, his rod down, and the uh, sparrow's magicians, these two guys threw their down, and you're like, gee, our God's not that powerful. But you know what? That's the only miracle they meant. From there forward. I think I'll take knew in the second. It began to show that whoever their God was. That's really so okay. Yeah. There God couldn't save according yeah. to blood. Well, sort to that. That was the point. Just as those two were revealed that they weren't doing it, God will do it. And this has been a rhythm for Timothy the whole time. Timothy, Paul has been helping him with that. But to say it to you again. It looked like Janice and James were going to win, but they did Don't fear. You have a spirit of power and love and self-control. He's always comforting us in these last days. Some brothers are leaving. You Remember that? You'll have brothers that have left him, but there's some who refreshes you. Like Anesiphoris, Anesiphoris. you like, a cypress. You refreshed them in chapter one, and two. He's always doing this. It's going to be, okay, it's like you suffer as a soldier, but remember the one who has enlisted us, right? You, you, you are, uh, you're farming, but remember, there'll be a harvest one then. He's always doing that. I'm in mean, but guess what? The word of God is not bound. That is our hope. The Lord will set us right down. So I close with Jesus with us as we come to see. May I finish with Jesus and say this: Don't. Jesus would say to you, just like he said to the disciples, "Don't let your heart be troubled, for I go and prepare for this. people." And and on as we head into this Holy Week and we go to the resurrection on that day, why he came? He came to bring glory to Father, and all that he did, but make say it this way according to our passage this morning. He came to set us free from ourselves, so that we might experience the greater love that we've all longed for, the love of God. He actually didn't come to withhold. He came to set us free. The most miserable way that you and I can live is to live as lovers of self. And he set us free so that we might have the greatest love, his love, and to live more. Amen. Amen. Glory Amen. to God. Who's down in the highest? to God, who does that? Let's pray, Father, as we come to sing the spout that has come to us, as we as your people sing and enjoy the richness, believe the richness that we do have. We do live in the last days, and that things are more dangerous. Give us the ability to understand and give us the ability to avoid when we need to. But God, glory to you that you have set us free from ourselves so that we might have the greatest love. Amen.